Sansuk by Detter Mamfid. Chapter 13. Read by Compass Rose for the Dwelves of Gothlorian. Meet Adwarodam. Mizim, daughter of Ilga. Mizim, a renowned dwarven beauty, was the daughter of Mur and Ilga, both wealthy mine owners. Her eyes are very dark and her hair very pale, and her sturdy and voluptuous figure is the envy of all Dwarodams. Mizim is quite upper class, and she cuts and polishes gemstones. She is matter-of-fact and to the point, with a rather dry, biting humor. Enduring the reactions to her famous beauty has left her with an abiding hatred of artifice, insincerity, and smarm. She married Gloin, son of Groin, after a tumultuous courtship, and bore two children, Gimli Elffriend and Gimris, Lady of Aglarond. Mizim is an expert at the throwing of knives, and taught her daughter the art. She also gave her son a lifelong interest in the shaping and manufacture of jewels and crystals, a skill that later came in rather handy. Was fair the mountains tall in elder days before the fall of mighty kings in We now have but one choice, came Gandalf's old and creaking voice. We must face the long dark of Moria. The crystal atop his staff rekindled, and Thorin blinked in the sudden white, wan glow. The faces of the fellowship were tense and pale in the darkness. Gimli's jaw rippled and his cheeks were stained with tears, but he no longer wept. Rage still burned in his deep, dark eyes. Stay close, all of you, Gandalf continued. There are older and fouler things than orcs in the deep places of the world. The dim light of his staff only illuminated a few feet ahead, and Thorin blinked rapidly as his eyes adjusted. His heart was still hammering from the collapse of the doors and the attack of the Watcher. His pulse thudded and raced in his neck and temples. Oin licked his lips and stepped close as the fellowship began to wend their way from the collapsed rubble towards the stairs. The first level lies ahead, he murmured. They needn't go higher than the fourth to get to the other side. Which way from the stairs? Thorin murmured back. His voice was hoarse from shouting. Left, Ori said tightly. Gandalf, Thorin said and waited for the wizard's eyes to flicker to him. Left here. Gandalf rolled his eyes and nodded before he muttered, That the day has come, Thorin Oakenshield, when I should take any sort of directions from you. Take the advice or discard it, Thorin replied crisply. Either way suits me well, but if you would ignore the directions of a dwarf underground, I will think less of you than I did before. Gandalf smiled grimly. Plain spoken as always. Very well, left it is. Who are you talking to? asked Pippin, his piping voice small and frightened in the darkness. His eyes were very large and his face very white in the glow of Gandalf's staff. Myself, Master Took, Gandalf said, with a warning glance to the dead dwarves. Just remembering the way. We turn left here, 
Now don't look so scared. I told you I had passed this way before, and with care and caution I know it can be done. I will see you safely to the other side, never fear. Easy enough for you to say, Pippin mumbled, and he looked around at the crumbling stone and swallowed. I don't like this at all. It's very unfriendly. And cold, Sam added. And these stone floors aren't all that forgiven on the feet, if you'll pardon me saying, Master Gimli. Gimli did not answer. His head was bowed and his eyes downcast. His fist was still clenched around the haft of his axe, and it shook slightly as he trudged along behind Boromir. Gandalf glanced over at Thorin, who also lowered his eyes. You know him best, I believe, the wizard said in a voice that could scarcely be heard his lips barely moving. What should we do for him? I honestly don't know, Thorin said, regarding his star with worry. I have never seen him like this. Gimli is a merry soul. I do not believe he has ever known tragedy so closely before. Hmm. Tragedy has a way of revealing our greatest strengths, Gandalf replied, and he lifted his staff to peer down the tunnel "'Wore our greatest weaknesses,' Thorin said darkly. "'As cheerful as ever, I see.' "'I feel as if the mountain is pressing in on me,' Legolas said, his face wooden and his voice halting. "'How long is the journey?' Four days,' Gandalf said. "'Though we will have some trouble counting them without the sun, "'Gimli will be our guide there.' The elf frowned. How so? Why, a dwarf has a sense of time underground. Did you not know? Gandalf said, feigning astonishment. Then he sent a surreptitious wink to Thorin and his comrades. You sly old fox, said Balin admiringly. If Gimli had said that. Another argument, no doubt, Oin said, and he smiled, though it was wobbly and thin. Clever. Some use in being a wizard, after all. Gandalf looked rather pleased with himself as he stepped through an archway and led them along a passage towards another connecting chamber. Look, said Mary, and he pointed out a couple of marks against the wall. Is this what you were talking about, Gimli? The ruddy head finally lifted, and Gimli stepped forward to run his heavy hand over the deep carving, intricate and clear despite the centuries. Aye, he rasped. That's a mine sign. I don't recognize it, though. Too old, no doubt. All of them will have changed over the centuries. The ones they used back then will be different to those I know. It's pretty, said Mary, and he peered at it owlishly. Look, Pip, isn't it pretty? I didn't think anything in this place could be pretty, Pippin said, also studying the marks. Gimli stiffened. Oh, Pippin faltered, and Frodo sighed. Maybe we should keep going, he suggested gently, and Pippin bit down on his lip before nodding. I'm sorry, he blurted, before scurrying towards the front of the line where Aragorn and Gandalf were moving on. He's young, Frodo said, and smiled at Gimli sadly. He didn't mean that. I know, Gimli said heavily, and he looked up from the mine sign. His anger was still bright as flames in his eyes. I'm not offended, just 
Pippin hasn't ever known loss, Frodo said, and he reached out with a tentative hand to touch Gimli's massive shoulder. He says the first thing in his head without ever thinking it through, and he doesn't ever consider that it might hurt someone until after he says it. Expect him to hang all over you later, begging for your forgiveness. Gimli snorted. That sounds irritating. Relief struck Thorin so strongly he almost buckled. That sounded far more like his star. Frodo grinned, his teeth flashing in the darkness. It is. Touching the mine sign once more, Gimli sighed. The rage was draining from his eyes to be replaced with a bone-deep sorrow. I'm truly not offended. Truly, I only... Frodo's hand landed on Gimli's shoulder once more. I understand. Gimli's mouth tightened. Do you? My people, they were dead and left to the air and the orcs. Their bodies were not under stone, not even burned. I knew that dwarf. His name was Urgen. If he can be lying there unburied without the rites... He stopped, breathing through his nose, and his jaw rippled beneath his thick, uncombed beard. I do, Frodo said quietly. Bilbo raised me because my parents were lost to the Brandywine River. I didn't even have a body to bury. I used to wonder if the river would one day give them back to me, as quickly as it took them away. Gimli's straight, Durin brow furrowed, and he bowed his head again. My apologies, then. You do understand. There may be someone left, said Frodo, and spread his hands. Perhaps your hope will prove true where mine failed. It is a fool's hope, said Gimli, and he touched the mine sign again with gentle fingers. A fool's hope. We do not leave our dead thus, not if we have power and breath to lay them beneath stone. No, I do not think we will find a single living Dwaro left in these halls. Whatever we find, Gimli, Frodo said, and he patted Gimli's shoulder. We are here with you. Nay, you are, Gimli murmured, and he straightened. I may be the only living dwarf in Khazad-dûm, but I am not alone. Will you tell me about them? Frodo asked and Gimli took a short, sharp intake of breath. My uncle, my cousin, he began, and he stopped, his throat working around a swallow. Perhaps later. Frodo nodded. Perhaps later. Balin and Oin had huddled together tightly, their shoulders touching and their eyes downcast. Ori was wringing his hands and muttering, Got to move on. They've got to move on. Can't stay here. Gimli's hand rose, and he grasped Frodo's hand, where it lingered at his shoulder. Thank you, Frodo. My family seems to have a habit of becoming fond of Bagginses. I'm beginning to see why. Balin shot a meaningful look at Thorin, who scowled back at him. Not a word. Did I say anything, laddie? Balin said innocently. Didn't need to. I could hear you thinking it very loudly, murmured Owain. Come on, Gimli said, and began to lead Frodo onwards. Mustn't let the others get too far ahead of us. I can see better than you can in this darkness. I'll lead you true. I have no doubt, 
Frodo said, keeping his hand on Gimli's shoulder. But do mind my feet. Sam wasn't exaggerating in the slightest about this cold rock. Gimli actually managed to chuckle, though it was sad and strained, and no smile touched his lips. Aye, well, it would have been paved once. Seems as though the paven's been stripped, or maybe just ruined for the sake of destruction. I won't ever pretend to know the mind of an orc. A shame, Frodo said. I'm sure it would have been more comfortable. As they moved off behind the rest of the fellowship, Thorin glanced down at the mind sign. It was indeed beautiful and ancient. I started to decipher them, Ori said in a soft voice. What did it say? Thorin asked distantly. Veer, son of Nier, is a giant prat, Ori mumbled, and Oin dissolved into slightly hysterical chuckles. Perhaps it's just as well that Gimli cannot read them, Thorin said, biting down on the inside of his cheek. Faintly, through the soft, still silence, the rumble of Gimli's voice reached them from where he led Frodo ahead of their guard detail. He's singing, said Ori in surprise. It's the morning song, said Balin, and the black guilt was back in his voice. Aturus, Aturus, Nikushir. I am Uhud, I am Uhud, Gimli sang underneath his breath, the deep notes like quiet thunder in the empty mines. That's pretty, too, said Pippin in a whisper, and Sam shushed him. Never you mind, you scallywag, he said. Remember what he said about that language of his? He's not going to tell you what it means, so don't you go opening that trap of yours to ask. I wouldn't, Pippin protested, and he glanced back at Gimli with worried eyes. I wouldn't make him feel worse for all the cake and Tuckborough. He's a friend, Sam. I wouldn't hurt a friend. I'm a hobbit of great sensitivity, I am. And I'm the Queen of Harad, muttered Mary. Gimli finished his song and exhaled slowly, his barrel chest falling. His broad shoulders were slumped where Frodo's hand rested for guidance. The ring-bearer said nothing and simply walked beside him, offering silent support and comfort. Balin's voice was a whisper in the crushing, suffocating dark. How do you face this, Thorin? he rasped. How did you move on? Thorin stared into the depths of their ancestral home. What makes you believe I have moved on? I carry my guilt with me, old friend. I have simply learned to carry it for longer without collapsing beneath its weight. Balin bowed his head, and then he began to fade as the stars of Gimlin's Aram reclaimed him. Nikushin, whispered Beefer, and Ori put his head in his hands and nodded. Nay, and now it claims new pain, said Oin sadly, watching his nephew trudge through the deep and velvet blackness with steady tread and lowered eyes. He yet moves, 
Torment in the dark will not stop him, Thorin pointed out, and Oin snorted. Of course he does, he said with a slight jerk of his head. He's a dwarf of Durin's line, and this is Kaza Doom, no matter the monsters that have taken hold here. I hope his sadness doesn't take too much hold of him, Ori murmured, and he watched over Gimli's plodding steps with anxious eyes. Thorin drew himself tall. He knew how to give his strength. He knew what it was to be strong for others. Gimli had been his safety and his laughter. Gimli had been his strength for eighty years. He would act the king he was meant to be, and give his to Gimli in return. Malakun, my star, he said in Gimli's ear, Hulal, Chathuzal. Gimli sighed deeply, and his legs kept moving rhythmically into the dead, echoing halls of their greatest ancestor. The dull stamp of his heavy boots rang back from empty corridors, echoed by the pitter of hobbit feet, the slight rasp of elvish shoes, and the long tread of the men. Nearing midnight, murmured Ori, and Biffer nodded. I'll change off with another, he said. Strength to him and to you. Bring others to take your watch, Thorin ordered crisply, and Biffer nodded again before he began to fade. The stars of the chamber edged his silhouette for a brief moment, and then he was gone. Return to the world of the dead. Ori shivered. I've never gotten used to seeing that. Balin's place at the fellowship's side was taken by Freren, and Philly came to relieve Biffer. Ori and Oin stayed, though their lips were pressed tightly together and their hands were clenched into fists. Gloin has made it over the Misty Mountains, Philly said quietly. He now travels through the land of the Bjornings. Good, Thorin grunted. Erebor prepares for war, Freren said. The engines are being built in record time. Dory is a harsh taskmaster. The training continues, and Dwalin is happier than a fox in a henhouse. Dees is holding a sword tourney for her students. Thorin snorted. Of course she is. The stone helm is nearly to the court of the Elven King, Freren continued. He will be there in a few days, and we will see if Thranduil heeds the call against the master of the Black Land. I didn't hold out much hope on that front, Oin muttered. Where are we here? asked Philly, looking around and squinting in the crushing darkness. Moria, said Ori shortly, and Oin sighed. The doors are gone, Thorin told his brother and nephew in a low voice. Gimli begins to guess that he will not find his family and friends alive. The fellowship is uneasy. As they should be, Ori muttered. They've three more days until they reach the other side, added Oin. His face was bleak. They'll reach the second level soon, added Ori, and he twisted his gloved hands. The chamber, the chamber of Mazarbul is... Aye, Freren said eventually, and he laid his hand on the shoulder of the unhappy scribe. No need to say it. Thorin was glad he had organized the watches. Balin would need to find his equilibrium again before braving Moria once more. It was a heavy thing, that burden of guilt. Time was all that helped. Time would see him learn how to shoulder it and move on. The mines stretched on and on, 
And though the darkness was close and comforting to the watchers, Thorin could see the tension building in the elf and hobbits. The fellowship camped that evening at the base of a crumbled pillar, and Gimli took off his gauntlets and touched the dusty stone with his bare fingers. Still smooth, he murmured. Legolas turned to Aragorn and hissed, Why do we stop here? We must press on. Calm yourself, the man said in a low voice. The hobbits need rest after their fright at the doors. Besides, there are other, more compassionate reasons to halt for a short while. Legolas' face didn't alter, but his bright blue eyes tightened. Gwaim, Aragorn! Tholkien lost! We do not need to stay for the Nogoth. This show of mourning can happen just as easily on the move as it does sitting still. Aragorn turned to him with a stern face, and his expression was cold and lordly. That is unworthy of you, Melon. He makes no pretense of mourning. He has lost his people and his family, and that is true grief in his face. A little more kindness from the elves at this point would help him think better of you. Nothing will make him think better of an elf, Legolas said. His face was still calm, but his shoulders had tightened at the rebuke. He takes offense at everything I say or do. This was already an uncomfortable journey before we took to this forsaken pit. You cannot see, Aragorn sounded surprised. Gimli avoids you because you are not friendly to him, Legolas. You treat him differently to the rest of the Fellowship. Legolas' mouth opened on a soft inhale, and then he took a lithe, quick step forward. I do not, he said, stung. You do, Aragorn said, and there was grim amusement in his voice. You have, to my memory, insulted the very existence of dwarves directly to his face. Legolas looked as though he would retort for a moment, and then his face hardened and he turned away with a flash of golden hair to sit upon an outcropping of broken stone, muttering pensively to himself. That was a surprise. Thorin folded his arms, eyeing the man speculatively. He had not expected defense from that quarter. Aragorn obviously found the elf to be good company, though Thorin could not think why. They slipped back into that garbled birdsong language every now and then to converse, and each time made Gimli glower like a thunderstorm. Yet Aragorn now took Gimli's part in their dispute? Unexpected, but not unwelcome. Aragorn was strange. Thorin did not understand him. Thorin had been forced into exile, wandering lost and distant from the crown and throne that were his by right. He certainly would not have chosen such a fate. Yet the man, born to be king, deliberately opted for the nomadic life of a ranger? Men were bizarre. Still, this one was a good leader, and a skilled and canny outdoorsman. He also seemed to have a clear eye and a sense of fairness, despite having been raised by elves. Thorin did not know how men judged such things, but Aragorn seemed him to be all a king should be, wise, just, strong, and good. The fact that he was a superb swordsman didn't hurt either. Why, then, did the man hide beneath the tattered leathers and uncombed hair of a ranger? Gimli slept fitfully that night, one hand upon the smooth ancient stone and the other restless upon his axe. Pippin and Merry slept close, 
Pippin tucked his feet into Gimli's bedroll without a single flicker of shame. Frodo and Sam bundled up on the other side of Gandalf, and Boromir took the outside posting, bracketing the sleeping hobbits with his larger form and shielding them from the corridor. Aragorn took the first watch, after speaking quietly with Gandalf and Boromir for a few moments. He set himself up on the most easterly edge of their corridor, and began to clean his sword of all the ichor and slime left by the Watcher. Oin shuddered violently. Zurzu asked Thorin quietly. "'Ah, laddie, I don't think I'll ever be well,' he answered bleakly. "'It's dead now,' said Ori comfortingly. "'What's dead?' Feely asked. "'The Watcher,' said Ori. "'The doors fell on it.' "'Shh! That bloody elf's coming back,' hissed Freren, and he mimed a rude sign in Iglishmek behind Legolas' back. The corner of Thorin's mouth twitched. "'Stop that,' he said. "'You are always such a spoilsport,' Freren complained as Feely and Ori tried to stifle their giggles. "'Aragorn?' Legolas said low. Go ahead on in. Yes, done, Aragorn replied. But it is not me you should apologize to, Legolas. Legolas let out an exasperated gust of breath and sat down beside the man. He was almost ungainly in his irritation, a most unelvish thing. No doubt Thranduil would disapprove. I do not understand, Legolas confided and he ran a long-fingered hand through the fine golden silk of his hair and blew out another exasperated puff of air. He is not what I have always known dwarves to be. Who was it who told you what a dwarf was, Legolas? Aragorn asked, and he leaned back as he struck a light and brought it to his pipe. The elf's nose wrinkled at the smell, but he continued. I do not speak of tales or histories or rumors— I am not young, and I have known dwarves before. I have looked into his father's face and seen only anger and resentment shine back at me. Those were not exactly the best or most friendly of circumstances, Aragorn pointed out dryly. Legolas scowled, but he grudgingly nodded his head in assent. Yes, that is true. Still, it has been known for age upon age that a dwarf cannot feel the way the true children of Iluvatar can. They cannot feel true love for anything but their precious stones. They cannot even feel affection for their kin and friends. Sorrow is beyond them, as is joy. They can only covet and resent. This is known, Aragorn. You filthy, lying elf scum! snarled Thorin. Dimly he realized that his arms were held in place by Ori and Freren, and that Philly was hauling him around the chest. Do becker! Oin shouted, and Thorin roared in agreement. Easy, brother! Freren grunted, throwing all his strength into holding Thorin's arms still. Thorin was taller and heavier than his brother, forever frozen in mid-adolescence, and he was gradually gaining the upper hand. Easy! You can't affect them, you can't touch them, and all you'll do is wake Gimli. No one else can hear you. Settle yourself. Known by whom, Legolas? Aragorn asked softly. Known by elves. Did they bother to ask a dwarf? Legolas' mouth snapped shut, and then he said slowly, I 
do not think we ever did. And here I finally see the proof of the lie. He is grieving, and it is true grief. I can see it in his face, in the way he sings to himself, in the thudding tread of his feet. If he can feel true grief, what else can he feel? Ori gaped and Oin deflated like a drained wineskin. Are my ears finally playing up again? he demanded. I can't have heard that right. What else can he feel? Aragorn took a draw of his pipe and gave the elf an amused sidelong glance. All that a mortal can feel, I had imagined. You say you have seen the grief in his face. Then you have seen more, no doubt. I know your elf eyes, my friend. I have seen it, Legolas said, and he closed those shining eyes in defeat. I did not want to accept it. Thorin abruptly stopped struggling against Ori and Freren, his mouth dropping open slightly. Oh, thank Mahal, Feely groaned, and he sank back with a wheeze. You're too damn strong. If I wasn't dead already, then you'd have finished the job. Change comes easier to mortals, I fear, Aragorn said, smiling. It was all there, Legolas groaned. Everything he feels is writ upon his face so clearly that a blind man could see it. Sunk to the cheeks and hair though it is. He feels it all, and so fiercely that it is like a fire. He's like a fire. It burns me, Aragorn, to know I have been so blind. It is no easy thing to know that you have been wrong, said Aragorn gently. You see him now with an open eye, and yet your old misconceptions still howl and rattle in your mind. He is bowed down by the endless grief of mortals, and yet no darkness daunts him, Legolas said, his long fingers grasping at each other. Made strong to endure, just as he said. Are all dwarves thus, or only this one? Aragorn's answering shrug was wry. Affection for the hobbits, for his friends, for his family, Legolas mused. Did you not see him with his father Gloin? I overheard him speaking to Sam about his sister and her son, and he loves that child with everything he has in him. He has spoken of nothing but his cousin and uncle and friends ever since we neared Caradras. He grew up with one of these lost colonists, he said. Loni, his name was. They earned their warrior's braids together. He was Gimli's best friend, as close as a brother. Legolas paused, and then he hung his head. His best friend, he repeated and winced. What else do I know that is wrong? Is everything I know wrong? You could ask him, Aragorn suggested. As you say, you have known dwarves before. But how many of them answered any questions? Legolas blinked, and then his fine brows drew together. None. None, Aragorn agreed. They guard their secrets. But Gimli answers questions, does he not? The faintly inscrutable smile of the elves crossed Legolas' lips. He does. I am suddenly even more grateful that Balin has left said Ori. 
Ah, what has that boy said now? Oin cried aghast. Thorin slept and rose again. His father watched him with dark and worried eyes as he gulped down water and a slice of bread with cheese. You spent twenty-eight hours in the starry waters without pause, he said quietly. Yes, Thorin said. He felt no need to defend it. And I take to them again now. Gimli walks in Moria, and I will not leave him alone. Do not forget to rest, Thrain said, and tucked Thorin's uncombed hair behind his ears. Dead we may be, but you are not made of stone. Thorin smiled faintly. I know of a few who may disagree with you. Thrain smiled back, before nodding over to where Friss was sitting. A pot of her favorite tea rested before her, and she was watching them both. Your mother worries. For her sake, do not disappear again. I know my mother worries, he replied, and he could feel his back stiffening. So do I. I, Thrain said, and he shook his head. Well, you'll do as you must, my son. Remember, we are here should you need us. Thorin took his father's broad and powerful hand. I remember, was all he said. Mak minrok zu, adad. Thrain squeezed his hand in return, and then he sighed. Malin, Ori, and Oin await you. Nali, Loni, and Frar also stand ready. The tale of the Fellowship's journey into Moria has spread through the halls like wildfire. Practically every dwarf stands ready to serve. Did you stand with Dane last night? Thorin asked, shaking off the sentiment and the last vestiges of his sleep. Aye, for a while. Then I stopped with your sister. She misses Gimli. Thrain shook his great grizzled head again. I still cannot believe that she has become so fond of him. Gimli has a way about him sometimes, Thorin said. Oh, that reminds me. Do not mention the elf to Grandfather. He has begun to ask some rather interesting and insulting questions regarding dwarves. Freren, Feely, and Ori had to hold me back. I dread to think what Grandfather will do. Thranduil's son, Thrain said, and rubbed at his eyes. Why, he wouldn't react well at all. Too much bad blood there. What sort of questions? Thorin's smile turned grim. He apparently entertains the idea that dwarves have feelings. It shocks him. That... Thrain startled, and then he bit off a savage curse. Bah! Kudush! Indeed. Thorin gave his father a considering look. How do you fare through all of this? Never you mind, boy, Thrain said heavily. I am well enough. The memories still rise and fester, and now and then I can taste the old madness at the back of my mouth. But your mother is with me, and your grandmother. She barks and scolds and cossets at me until I am myself again. That at work... Thorin agreed, and Thrain chuckled softly. Aye, better than any physic. Mizul, Thorin said, and butted his father's head softly and rested there for a moment, taking strength from Thrain's solidity and power for a moment. And you, my son, Thrain said, 
and you. Balan, Ori, and Oin were waiting in the chamber of Sansukul, and their faces were tight and grim. Early morning, Oin remarked, his voice hushed. They will be moving again, no doubt. They did not stop all night, Thorin frowned. They began again after a few hours, Sladi, Balan said, though I believe they stopped at the old crossways not long ago. Gandalf has forgotten the way. Forgotten the... Thorin said, and then he rubbed at his temples. Bloody wizards, muttered Oin. They're not far, Ori said, and he bit down on his lip before nodding over to two unnervingly still figures in the glistening half-light. Killy and Philly took the last watch. Thorin glanced over at his nephews, taking in their tired faces as they slept, slumped over each other on the bench. Ah, they told you all this. Before they passed out, I, Oin said, it's been a trying time. If it is trying for us, it is doubly so for the fellowship. Thorin took his bench and carefully moved Keeley's foot out of the way, before resting his hand briefly against the silky bright and dark hair spilling over his nephew's sleeping faces. He would let the lads rest a while longer. Come, let's find them. He will find us today, Balin said in a mournful whisper, and then the stars were glittering and whirling beneath the waters, their radiance eclipsing the world of the dead. When the glow had faded, Thorin was blinking at a set of three graceful arches in the old Longbeard style. Gandalf was seated, glowering and smoking before them, his face like thunder. Mary, Pippin whispered. What? I'm hungry. Thorin rolled his eyes. Hobbits. Suddenly Frodo stood, his eyes filled with a nervous fear, and he made his way to the wizard. He looked very small against the grandeur of old Khazad-dum, his feet whispering against the stone. There's something down there, he hissed. That's Gollum, Gandalf replied, and Thorin jerked backwards. The creature from the cave. The creature that had tried to kill his Bilbo? Gollum, he said, in unison with Frodo. He's been following us for three days, Gandalf continued, a glimmer in his old, old eyes. He escaped the dungeons of Baradur? Frodo was incredulous, and for that matter, so was Thorin. Nothing escapes the grasp of Sauron, he said with finality. My father is proof of that. Escaped? Or was let loose, Gandalf said and his eyes flicked to Frodo meaningfully. He continued to speak of the creature, and Thorin shuddered violently as Gandalf revealed that the cursed ring was behind Gollum's insanity. How close, how very close, Bilbo had come to... No, he would not think it. Easy, muttered Balin. Easy, Thorin. He let it go. Bilbo is the only one in all of history to release the ring of his own free will. He almost did not, Thorin said, hating every word. But he did, Balin said, and patted Thorin's arm. Easy. 
It's a pity Bilbo didn't kill him when he had the chance, Frodo said with surprising heat. Thorin agreed one hundred percent. Kill it, he snarled, and Balin's hand tightened on his arm warningly. Kill the foul thing once and for all. It has lived too long. Put it out of the world for good. Pity? It was pity that stayed Bilbo's hand. Many that live deserve death, and some that die deserve life. Gandalf sent a pointed look to Thorin from under his bushy brows, and Thorin swallowed against a throat made suddenly dry and painful. Can you give it to them, Frodo? Frodo paused, and a lost expression passed over his face. Do not be too eager to deal out death in judgment. Even the very wise cannot see all ends. Gandalf's mouth twitched as he glanced again at Thorin and his companions. My heart tells me that Gollum has some part to play yet, for good or ill before this is over. The pity of Bilbo may rule the fate of many. He is too forgiving, Thorin choked. There are many who receive such forgiveness and do not deserve it. Frodo sat heavily, and his lost expression had turned forlorn. His head bowed under the weight of the chain about his neck. I wish the ring had never come to me. I wish none of this had happened. So do all who live to see such times, but that is not for them to decide, Gandalf said gently. The old wizard smiled down at the hobbit, before meeting Thorin's eyes once more. His face was filled with an unearthly compassion. Abruptly, Thorin wondered which of the Valar Gandalf had loved and learned from. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given us. There are other forces at work in this world, Frodo, besides the will of evil. Bilbo was meant to find the ring, in which case you also were meant to have it. And that is an encouraging thought. No, it is not, Thorin grated. It is the opposite of encouraging. And who decided that Bilbo was meant to find it? The ring decided. Forgive me if I do not trust its judgment. Gandalf ignored him and said brightly, Ah, it's that way. Wait, what? Oin blinked. I, I could have told him that. He's remembered, Mary said in relief. No, but the air doesn't smell so foul down there, Gandalf said, and patted the young brandybuck on the back. When in doubt, Master Marriadoc, always follow your nose. I could have told him that, Oin persisted, turning to Ori. Ori spread his hands helplessly. The fourth level, said Balin in a wondering voice. Even though these mines had cost his life, longing still stole over his face as Gandalf raised his staff and flooded the vast hall of feast with his pale crystal light. Gimli, who had been a silent shadow to that point, gasped in awe as the tall columns were revealed, beautiful and intricate beyond any craft he had ever seen. His eyes glistened with reverence and wonder. Well, there's an eye-opener, no mistake, Sam said, his eyes very round and large. Ori glanced at him once, and then he quickly turned away with a small whimper. 
tell me when he stops the hobbity big-eye thing, he muttered. There must have been a mighty crowd of dwarves here at one time, said Sam, and every one of them busier than badgers for five hundred years to make all this, and most in hard rock, too. What did they do it all for? They didn't live in these darksome holes, surely? These are not holes, said Gimli. His face was upturned and serene as he gazed over the ruined grandeur of the Hall of Feast. This is the great realm and city of the Dwarodwelf. And of old it was not darksome, but full of light and splendor, as is still remembered in our songs. Legolas, watching, tilted his head in fascination as he regarded the dwarf. His eyebrows were drawn together again, and he seemed about to ask a question. Before he could open his mouth, however, Gimli began to sing softly. His deep voice rumbled into the dark and echoed in the carved buttresses and from prehistoric stone. It was as if the mountain itself was singing, dark and profound and ancient. The world was young, the mountains green. No stain yet on the moon was seen. No words were laid on stream or stone when Durin woke and walked alone. He named the nameless hills and dells. He drank from yet untasted wells. He stooped and looked in mirror and saw a crown of stars appear as gems upon a silver thread above the shadow of his head. The world was fair, the mountains tall, in elder days before the fall of mighty kings in Nargothrond and Gondolin who now beyond the western seas have passed away the world was fair in Durin's day. A king he was on carven throne, in many pillared halls of stone, with golden roof and silver floor, and runes of power upon the door. The light of sun and star and moon In shining lamps of crystal hewn Undimmed by cloud or shade of night There shone forever fair and bright Their hammer on the anvil smote their chisel, clove, and graver wrote. Their forged was played and bound was hilt. 
The delver mined, the mason built, their barrel pearl and opal pale, and metal wrought like fishes mail, buckler and corslet, axe and sword, and shining spears were laid in hoard. Unwearied then were Durin's folk, Beneath the mountain's music woke, The harper's harp the minstrels sang, And at the gates the trumpets rang. The world is grey, the mountains old, the forge's fire is ashen cold. No harp is rung, no hammer falls, the darkness dwells in Durin's halls. The shadow lies upon his tomb in Moria in Khazad-dûm. But still the sunken stars appear in dark and windless mirror mere. There lies his crown in water deep till Durin wakes again from sleep. Will you never stop with the damned secrets, cousin? Balin nearly shrieked. I like that, said Sam. I should like to learn more of it. Gimli said nothing. Having sung his song, he would say no more. A little late, Thorin felt. You are being reckless, Sinudoy, he sighed. And you are going to send Balin and Oin into traditionalist paroxysms. Gimli simply stared out at the hall, drinking it in his dark eyes alight with wonder and sorrow. "'Oh, lad,' Oin said sadly, before scowling, "'I should like to give you a thick ear and then get you drunk. You know better than this.' "'He is alone and full of grief,' Ori said defensively. "'He'll find his comfort where he can.' "'He'll not be finding comfort with any of these,' Oin retorted. "'And so he should stop giving him things that don't belong to him.' Shazara, Thorin murmured. It is done. Aye, everything is done, Oin muttered, and Balin rumbled his angry agreement. What I'm saying is, it should never have been done. Are there piles of jewels and things lying about still, do you suppose? Mary said eagerly. Piles of jewels, Gandalf snorted. No, the orcs have often plundered Moria, and naught is left that can be carried, not in these upper levels at any rate. Since the dwarves fled, none dare disturb the lower levels. Balin trembled violently, and Thorin reached out and grasped the back of his neck. Strength, Balin, he said. We heard it, Balin said hoarsely. Now and then, I didn't wish to acknowledge it. Shh. Thorin nodded to Ori, and the scribe nodded back, before leading the fellowship onward. This way, he said. Gandalf, 
Thorin said, and the wizard nodded imperceptibly. If there's no treasure, why do the dwarves want to come back? asked Pippin, and then he flinched as both Sam and Merry hushed him with many worried looks at Gimli. The brawny young Dwarrow barely noticed, still lost in contemplation of the forest of graceful pillars, the seat of his ancient and noble people, the home of his ancestors. Thorin could relate. For Mithril, among other things, Gandalf answered diplomatically, and he began to follow Ori through the vast, echoing hall of feast. The wealth of Moria was not in gold and jewels, the toys of the dwarves, nor in iron, their servant. Here, alone in the world, was found Moria silver, or true silver. Mithril is the elvish name. Its worth was ten times that of gold, and now it is beyond price, for little enough of it is left above ground, and even orcs do not dare delve too deeply for it. Bilbo had a corslet of mithril rings that Thorin gave him. I wonder what has become of it. Gathering dust in Michel Delving Matham House, no doubt. What? cried Gimli, shocked out of his silent contemplation of the ruin of Khazad-dûm, stately and beautiful even in decay. That was a kingly gift. Thorin fought the urge to squirm under the sudden attention of three dead dwarves and a wizard. Yes, said Gandalf, smiling. I never told him, but its worth was greater than the value of the whole shire and everything in it. You can all stop looking at me now, Thorin growled. I leave him alone, Balin said, trying and failing to keep the amusement from his voice. He'll be as cross as a bear with a sore paw otherwise. You mean he can be otherwise? sniggered Oin, and he ducked as Thorin swiped at him with a fist. Nah, too slow, my king. Do I get a pretty mithril prize? You'll get a busted lip in a moment, Thorin snarled. Dwarves, said Gandalf under his breath. At that moment Gimli let out a hoarse cry and began to run for a half-hidden door. Ori swore loudly, and Thorin looked at him with some surprise. That was unlike their scribe. Gimli, Gandalf cried, and Thorin barely thought before racing after his star, his heart beginning to pound. It wasn't. It couldn't be. As he entered the chamber, his spirits sank into the pit of his belly. Yes, there was the white tomb, and there the shaft of thin daylight. There was the slumped skeleton, and there the book, smeared with blood. A hammer lay discarded on the floor, and the corpse of Grechar could be seen propped over the well. No, Gimli choked, falling to his knees before the white stone, and his eyes filling with tears once more. No! Coming up behind him, Gandalf read the runes in a voice heavy with sorrow. Here lies Balin, son of Fundan. He is dead, then. It's as I had feared. Aragorn closed his eyes, and Boromir made a small sign over his breast. His strong face was creased with sympathy for the dwarf who knelt at the foot of the tomb, his head resting against the white stone and his eyes clenched shut. 
I cannot, Balin choked, and Thorin's hand shot out to hold Balin's shoulder in a hard, almost crushing grip. You will stay, he commanded in a harsh tone. You will stay, as I did. You will see that you are mourned. You will know that you were loved. I cannot, Balin cried, and Thorin whirled to take his face in his hands and shake his head roughly. You can and will. It hurts, I know, but you will grow around it, and it will become a memory of love and not sorrow. I saw you weep for me, saw you all weep for me and my nephews, and I did not turn away. Do you not think I wished to? His thumbs pressed into Balin's soft, curling beard. All I saw was the destruction left in my wake. All I could see was the sorrow I left behind. It took eighty years for me to understand. Thorin, let me go, damn you! Balin howled, and Thorin gripped him harder, pressing their foreheads together and glaring into Balin's tear-ravaged eyes. No, he growled. You will learn. This hurts, but it is necessary. Your passing hurts others, true, but you were loved. You were admired and respected and loved, Balin Fundinal. Do not reject it. Balin stared helplessly at him through the haze of his tears, and dimly Thorin heard Ori sigh. Well, there I am, he said. Don't I make a good skeleton? You stop that now, Wayne said harshly. You make as good a skeleton as I did a snack. My, and as I did an orc pincushion, Thorin said to Balin, who finally slumped into Thorin's arms. Oh, laddie, he wept, and Thorin wrapped his arms around his dear friend and cousin and held on tightly. Gimli's weeping slowed, and he touched the white stone with his powerful hands reverently. Lord of Moria, he said, his booming voice wrecked and rasping, mahal. Gimli, I, I am going to clobber you, Oin muttered, and he dashed at his eyes roughly. However many thousand years of secrecy, and you hand over Lord and Kuzdul, and who knows what else, as easily as a child scatters pebbles. Thorin looked over the top of Balin's head. You died bravely, he told Ori. I suppose, Ori said uncomfortably. Poor Droin was so terrified. As were you, Thorin said gravely. You kept going. You gave them heart to make a stand. Ori's chin rose. I'm one of the company, he said. Thorin smiled, though he could feel that it was very strained. I am proud to name you amongst them. Ori's cheeks flushed a light pink, and he turned as Gandalf carefully took the book cradled in his skeletal arms. Would you just look at what those bloody orcs did to my book, he said indignantly. Oh, that's shameful, that is. Oh, I would have done more than wallop them with a hammer if I'd known. Never mess with a librarian, Thorin thought with wry sadness, as Gandalf began to read the halting, disjointed tale of the colony. He turned his eyes back to Gimli. His star's light had dimmed, and his mouth was open in a soundless cry of grief. As Gandalf read out the final fate of Oin, 
Gimli's eyes slid shut, and two tears made deep furrows in the dust and grime on his face. Aragorn placed a hand on the dwarf's shoulder, and Merry hovered, wringing his little hands. Oh, I'm so sorry, Gimli, he murmured in a sad little voice. His normally mischievous face was unhappy and worried. Legolas was eyeing Gimli warily, as though he was likely to explode. This fresh storm of grief seemed to frighten the elf. We cannot stay here, he said urgently to Aragorn. Aragorn nodded once, but stayed where he was, lending strength to the grieving dwarf. I knew, Gimli whispered. I knew, but I did not want to believe. Speak to him, Oin pleaded. Thorin sighed. And what would you have me say? He hears you, doesn't he? Oin cried in anguish. Say anything. Make this right. Time is the only thing that can make it right, said Thorin. Turning back to Gimli, feeling Balin shake in his arms, he sighed again. If anything can make it right. Give him some comfort, Thorin, please, Oin begged. Thorin swallowed. I will try, he said. He gently urged Balin to lean against Ori, and then he crouched down beside his poor, sorrowing star. Gimli, Nahubayunne, he murmured. Do not weep for the long dead. Do not sorrow. We are here with you, and you are not alone. Gimli showed no sign of hearing him. Have you lost your gift? said Ori in shock, and Thorin stood, his heart sinking even further into the pit of his belly. He cannot hear me, he said, his heart heavy and his lips numb. All he can hear is his sorrow. Dis was thus for a while. Again, time is the only healer. Oh, that hurt. That was the worst blow yet. Gimli had always been able to hear him. Gimli was the safest place Thorin knew, and Gimli was lost. His star was out of reach. Poppycock, Oin snarled. Try again. At that moment, a thunderous crash sent everyone, living and dead, whirling to stare at Pippin Took. Oops, he said, his eyes wide and his face sheepish. Did he just throw Grahar down a well? Ori demanded incredulously. This hobbit is related to Bilbo, retorted Oin, and he ignored Thorin's sudden dark look. He's going to do stupid things in spectacular fashion every now and then. You will take that back, Thorin growled. One word, your majesty, Oin snapped. Trolls! Thorin couldn't really find any sort of retort to that. He settled for glowering at the apothecary. Fool of a talk, throw yourself in next time and rid us of your stupidity, Gandalf said, snatching back his hat and staff and glaring at the youngest hobbit. Pippin shrank back before freezing in horror as a new sound began to flood the echoing deeps of the mines, softly at first, but steadily growing in volume until the ancient stones seemed to rattle with it. 
Ori's breath caught around a scream. No! Mr. Frodo, Sam cried, and Frodo pulled Sting half from its sheath to reveal the eerie blue glow. We cannot get out, Gimli said. And trapped. Just as they were, Gandalf said, and he turned to the door as he drew Glamdring. Ah, but I was not here then. Aragorn and Boromir were closing the shattered doors, bracing them with wood. A roar echoed through the hall of feast, and Boromir winced. They have a cave troll, he said sourly. Gimli's face had kindled with a kind of madness as the drums rolled around the mines, and he leapt onto the tomb and drew his axes, snarling, Let them come! There is one dwarf yet in Moria who still draws blood! Is that... Oin said, his face falling. <laughs> the battle madness, I... Balin covered his eyes. No, no, this, this cannot be. Thorin stared at Gimli. His teeth glinted, bared in the thin and thready light, and his whole body seemed to swell with readiness as his muscles bunched. His fiery beard seemed nearly to bristle as he flicked his throwing axe in loose, vicious circles. Violence danced in his eyes, and his weight shifted from side to side as he waited impatiently, his feet planted on stone as a dwarf should. Legolas, bow drawn, glanced back at Gimli for a moment. His elven eyes were wide and alert, but the same confusion of the night before still flickered in their depths. He feels everything, Thorin told the elf hoarsely. To its utmost, Gimli does nothing by halves. You would do well to remember that, elf. The doors rattled. Doom, 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 sang the drums. Here they come, muttered Oin. Again, said Ori with dark sarcasm. The drums shook the air and the doors crashed open. Legolas let loose a volley of arrows, swifter than thought, and then goblins and the troll were upon them, Howling and gibbering and roaring, and Gimli roared back. Gimli whirled like a vortex of death, and his axes were faster than any Thorin had ever seen. Heads rolled, throats gushed blood, arms fell twitching to the floor. All the while, Gimli's teeth were bared in a soundless snarl. Left, Oin shouted. No, your left, my right. Now duck, ugh, duck faster. Now right, no, you're right. The elf dispatched the cave troll, but not before the beast managed to skewer Frodo with a spear. Thorin couldn't restrain the scream that burst out of him, and shamefully, all he could think of was Bilbo. Bilbo, to whom this young hobbit was the son. Frodo, Aragorn hollered, and the ring bearer slumped against the spear, his wide blue eyes shocked. Then he fell in a heap. Slicing through the last goblin, Gandalf rushed forward. Aragorn turned the hobbit over, and, amazingly, Frodo groaned. "'What's this?' Aragorn said in wonder. "'You should be dead. 
That spear would have skewered a wild boar. Thorin had a sneaking suspicion at that point, one which was soon confirmed when Frodo pulled down his shirt to show the unmistakable gleam of mithril beneath it. "'You are full of surprises, Master Baggins,' Gimli said. His colour was high and his eyes snapped ferociously, glowing with the battle madness. He seemed to be in tearing high spirits, and Thorin knew it to be a lie. "'Oh, Gimli,' he said miserably. Oin slowly shook his head. "'And that'll demand a price later,' he said, his voice muted. "'Why must madness always follow our line?' Balin said bitterly. Thorin made no answer. "'To the bridge of Khazad-dum,' said Gandalf. Gimli paused, and he touched the stone of Balin's tomb with his gauntleted hand. His eyes slid closed, and his head bowed, and the elation of battle sloughed from him like a shed skin. Bone-deep, soul-deep grief seemed to radiate from him in buffeting waves. "'Come, Master Dwarf,' Legolas said impatiently, and when Gimli would not, the elf resorted to pulling at his huge arm. "'Come! We cannot stay here, or there will be one more dead dwarf in Moria!' Gimli's eyes snapped open, and he glared at the elf, who returned the glare without flinching. "'Come, Master Dwarf,' he said again. "'We must go!' "'My cousin!' Gimli moaned, and Legolas' face softened. "'I am sorry,' he said, tersely, to be sure, but truthfully. He dragged at Gimli's arm again, though the dwarf could not be budged. "'But now we must leave him, or we will join him!' Gimli shook himself, and some of the madness and anguish fell from his eyes. "'You are right,' he said, and swallowed. "'Lead on.' "'This way!' Gandalf hollered, and he drew the fellowship back out into the hall of feast. Orc voices clamoured amongst the pillars, and the light upon his staff seemed small and frail as it bobbed amongst evil, glittering eyes and the huge ancient stonework. It could have been Thorin's imagination, but there was an inexorable hopelessness, a sense of inevitability in the wizard's face as he led them on, through the chittering, rustling darkness. The drums pounded and throbbed in the deeps, and still the wizard ran on, his mouth resigned and hard. Then a new sound filled the air, sending a chilling, icy curl of horror racing up Thorin's spine. Balin turned to him, and in his face was the answer that Thorin feared would be there. "'It's come,' he said, his voice full of dread. "'What is this new devilry?' Boromir whispered. The mighty man was tense and hoarse with fear. "'A balrog,' said Gandalf heavily, "'a demon of the ancient world.' The snarl that echoed through the Hall of Feast sent Thorin's heart hammering in his mouth. He felt lightheaded. Durin's bane, he breathed, and heard it echoed by Oin, Ori, and Gimli. Absurdly, that made him feel better. Gimli had heard him. The Balrog might kill them all, but it had snapped Gimli from his battle madness and given him back to Thorin. Run, Nidoyal, he said and Gimli's dwarf boots pounded against the stone. 
He doesn't have speed on his side, true, said Balin, scowling at the elf. But he runs like he could charge through a wall. The hall opened up to a steep flight of stairs that shook with the beat of the drums. A chasm opened up between one step and another. Jump! Gandalf shouted, and Boromir and Legolas easily made it to the other side. Aragorn threw the terrified hobbits across, even as the ceiling groaned under the report of the monstrous beast that followed. Aragorn turned to Gimli, who gave him an insulted look. "'Nobody tosses a dwarf,' he growled, and bunched his thick legs before taking a running jump. "'He's not going to make it,' Oin groaned. "'He made it,' Ori gasped. "'Not the beard,' Gimli howled. And Thorin winced at the indignity, even as Balin bristled at the insult. He touched Gimli's beard, he snapped. Gimli should take the damned elf's hand for that. It was his beard or his life, Thorin said shortly. And then Frodo and Aragorn were sent crashing into the others, and they were racing, stumbling and panting, down to the fourth level. The bridge, puffed Dory. There. Ahead the unending chasm yawned, and there stood the bridge of Khazad-dûm, a single curving spring of stone without rail or curb. At the brink, Gandalf halted, his breath rattling his chest. Lead them on, Aragorn, he rasped. The man paused, his eyes questioning, but Gandalf shooed him on with a sweep of his staff. Go, I say, swords are no more use here. This is a foe beyond any of you. I must hold the narrow way. Aragorn's brows drew together, but he turned and began to lead the fellowship onwards. Gandalf, what? Thorin began. Not now, Thorin Oakenshield! Gandalf snapped, and he loosened his arms and turned back to face the foot of the stair. Oh, Mahal, save us! Balin faltered. Even as a great billowing cloud began to surge through the shadows. Ah! Ah! Legolas wailed. A Balrog! A Balrog has come! Gimli stared with wide eyes as the smoke swirled through the air, coalescing around a nightmare of flames. He covered his face with his hands, and his axe fell and clattered to the ground. Pick up that axe, son of Gloin, Thorin barked, and Gimli fumbled for it reflexively. Properly, you fool, you will cut your own fingers. Take up arms! Gimli took up his axe and held it close to his chest. The huge muscles of his arms were tensed, pressing against his mail. Thorin could see the whites of his eyes. One massive foot, shadows and flames intermingled, stepped onto the bridge. Gandalf turned to the beast, his face twisted with effort and anger. You cannot pass, he grated. The Balrog snarled, whip cracking in its foul paw. Flames licked and rippled across its chest. I am a servant of the secret fire, wielder of the flame of Anor. The dark fire will not avail you, flame of Udun, Gandalf bellowed, and he began to shine like a star in the darkness. He was a tiny figure before the monstrosity of the Balrog, whose wings reached from one side of the cavern to the other. He cannot hold it against such evil, Balin choked. No, Thorin said wildly. No, he cannot. 
and he knew it all along. Bloody wizards, Oin howled. Gandalf's voice was grim. Go back to the shadow, he spat, and the Balrog roared a fence and smashed its fiery sword down upon the small, glowing figure. Ori, Pippin, and Frodo cried out in shock as flames engulfed the wizard, and Balin's fingers were pressed into Thorin's forearm painfully. The white glow of the wizard steadily shone out from beneath the flames, and Gandalf stood upright, bloodied and weary, but unbowed. "'You shall not pass!' he roared, and slammed his staff down against the bridge. There was a flash of light. The Balrog snorted and took another step forward, and then the ancient stone of the bridge of Khazad-dûm, unbroken since the days before the creation of the sun and the moon, cracked down the middle where Gandalf's staff touched it and crumbled away beneath the monster's feet. Roaring, howling, flames licking at the stone, the Balrog fell into the chasm. Its shadow plunged down and vanished. He did it! He did it! He bloody went and killed Durin's bane! Oin gibbered wildly, jumping up and down on the spot. Bloody wizards! I could kiss him! Don't! said Ori in a faint and wobbly voice. No one needs to see that. Gandalf sighed, his shoulders heaving and drooping with weariness. He turned to make his way back along the bridge towards the fellowship, and the crack of a whip sounded out. The fiery thongs of the Balrog's whip had caught him around the knees. Gandalf! Frodo shrieked in horror, and Aragorn caught him around the waist and held him back. The wizard was dragged to the brink, his staff and sword clattering over the edge as he clawed desperately for a handhold upon the stone of the bridge. He found one and scrabbled vainly at it for a moment as he dangled. Fly, you fools! he cried, and then he was gone. Oh.